0: Amen, amen. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer before we open up his word this morning. Lord, we are thankful to be here today. Thank you for allowing us to join together for worship both on campus and online. Uh, Lord, we ask and seek uh, wisdom from you, understanding from you. uh, Lord, not just for uh, knowledge's sake, but Lord, through your spirit, the gracious work of your spirit. Lord, that you would uh, impact uh, the very depths of our heart and our soul. Uh, Lord, birth in us. Uh, A desire to love you and honor you and cherish you above all. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to John 13. John 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 997. 997. As Pastor Tommy uh, mentioned earlier, we're going to start a new uh, two part sermon uh, series this morning entitled The Gospel and Servanthood. The Gospel and Servanthood. So, what do we mean by uh, the Gospel and Servanthood? In other words, as a follower of Christ, how does the finished work of Christ, the Gospel, the Good News, shape my understanding of servanthood? And the actions and the thoughts that follow, right? That's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to begin uh, looking at uh, John 13 this morning and then uh, Pastor Tommy will share the second part of that uh, next Sunday. But to set the stage of where we're at in uh, John 13, uh, just real quick, it's important to understand Uh, A a couple things as we turn our attention to this amazing chapter. Uh, One is, uh, for for John, as uh, the Holy Spirit gave uh, John uh, a a witness of the gospel, the work of Jesus, uh, one of the primary themes throughout uh, his account is the contrast between light and darkness. We see that uh, in full display uh, throughout the book of John, specifically uh, in John chapter 1 through John chapter 12. And then a shift begins to happen in John 13. Uh, where we see uh, a really an amazing theme of God's love, right? Not that it was not evident in the first 12 chapters, but there is a, a pretty good shift that happens in, in chapter 13 because the word love is, is given 45 times between uh, John 13 uh, through the end of the book of John. The second thing that's important to understand is from roughly John chapter 1, verse 19, uh, through the end of John chapter 12, there's about a three and a half, three, three and a half year span there, right? And it, uh, John uh, is, is a witness of uh, Jesus' miracles, the circumstances that are around that. He's got to see a lot of these things. And so there's a three and a half uh, year period roughly between John uh, chapter 1 verse 19 through the end of John uh, chapter 12. Now when you get to John chapter 13, so from John 13 to John uh, 19, uh, time slows way down you have 24 hours, right? So you have this amazing discourse, they call it uh, the upper room discourse, where Jesus is spending time uh, with his disciples, not so much in a public setting, but now in a more private setting, and everything is leading uh, to the cross. So those 24 hours, so in John 13, we're, we're Thursday, we're Thursday night, right? Good Friday's coming, right? Jesus is going to be crucified on the cross uh, in a matter of 24 hours, and so uh, it's during that time in John 13, those those first verses where Jesus begins to instruct his disciples on really the heart of servanthood, and that's where we're going to begin uh, our time this morning, so I'm going to read uh, that passage in its entirety so we can get the flow of it, and then we'll unpack it, so we got a lot of scripture, probably nothing new, uh, but just hang on, be ready to go, again, absorb this, not just today, but Spend time with the Lord throughout the week so that your heart will be impacted by the truth of his word. Beginning in verse 1, the scripture says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than his master." nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What an amazing passage of Scripture. What we find in this particular passage of Scripture is three amazing movements of Jesus, our servant king, right? And it's through those three amazing movements that we begin to understand the scope of servanthood and how to apply that scope of servanthood in our thoughts and our actions. And so that's what I want us to look at this morning through this passage. Uh, The first movement happens in verse 1. And through this first uh, movement, we learn as followers of Jesus Christ, a servant rests in Jesus' love. A servant rests in Jesus' love. In other words, we want to gain a, a true understanding of what it means to be a servant so that as we understand that, based on the scripture, you and I can what? We can be servants of the Lord. And so that first verse there. So we're going to unpack it, so we're going to have some pauses, so just to get a, a good understanding of what the scripture is teaching us. So verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, so let's stop there for just a second. Every year, uh, the Jewish people would celebrate th- uh, three uh, feasts throughout the year, one of those being the feast of Passover. This feast was to uh, celebrate, to reflect on, and to remember God's mighty hand in, uh, in the work of his people, how he delivered Him, uh, delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. And, and one of the plagues, the last plague that came in that uh, deliverance, the, the plague of judgment uh, of the death of the firstborn in order for uh, the people of God to be spared from that judgment. When the death angel came that night was to what? To to have a lamb slaughtered and to paint on the doorpost of your house the blood of that lamb and when the death angel came and saw that blood, guess what? He would pass over that house, right? And so that's the picture here and so that's one of the ways that God delivered his people, right? He's, He's delivering his people and the feast of the Passover was to celebrate that, to remember that, to reflect on that. The scripture goes on to say, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to To depart out of this world to the Father. So that phrase, his hour, happened six times in the Gospel of John. The first five of those, when it says his hour had, uh, had come, it says not yet. Meaning it's not time yet. But now it's time. In other words, Jesus is going to be the promised lamb. To be the final sacrifice on that Passover week. To take away the sins of the world. And then the scripture says, having loved his own who were in the world... So think about this. Jesus has an amazing general love for all people, right? But he has an amazing specific love for his people. And how awesome is that love? He says he loved them uh, to the end, right? This speaks of the full extent, the full measure, the limitless love of God for his people. The scripture says before the foundations of the world. He loved you. He set his affection on you. A love that is perfect and fixed and gracious, merciful, sovereign, redeeming, unconditional, faithful, complete, generous, intercessory love, and sacrificial love. John said, Jesus says in John 15, 13, he says greater. The word greater there means mega. Mega love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. What an amazing word, friends, right? It's talking about an intimate knowledge of this love. So we're not just servants, but we are friends of God, right? What an amazing truth that is. In John 15, 15, the scripture says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what uh, his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Again, we're not just servants of Christ. We are friends of Christ. That means that Jesus has revealed to us the extent of the Father's love for us. Right? We, we have intimate knowledge of the love of God for us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And how great is that love? Verse 9 of John 15 says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I mean, think about that statement for just a minute. The same love that the Father has for the Son is the same love that the Son has for us, right? I mean, when you look in the mirror every morning, as a follower of Christ, a servant of the Lord, is the first thought that comes to your mind, I am greatly loved. I am greatly loved. Do you see why having a true scope of understanding who you are in Christ matters when it comes to servanthood? That every day, no matter what, because of the finished work of Christ, I can declare the truth. I am greatly loved. The scripture says that we are to abide in that love. Remain in it. Cling to it. Rest in it. Continue in it. Why? Jesus says in John fifteen five: he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is not only valuing relationship, but he's also valuing fellowship, right? It's a reminder to us that greater than what we think we do for God, Jesus reminds us that it's the relationship that matters most to him. And as a father of Christ, it's not just relationship, but now it's fellowship. Though that relationship can never be broken by grace, right? That fellowship can be by our sin, And so the scripture says we are to abide in him, we are to rest in him, we are to cling in him. In other words, our ability to serve comes from that fellowship with the Lord, that relationship with the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, learn to rest in the love of Christ. Cherish every day in the fact that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Guess what? You are part of the many, right? He died for your sins. Let the overflowing power of his love for you be your resting place. Let it be your hope and your strength. When the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's praying a prayer over them for for spiritual strength and vitality within the church. Listen to his prayer in Ephesians 3. He says, beginning in verse 16, he says that according to the riches of his glory, speaking of Jesus, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell, that is, he'll take root, that he'll have residence, that he will uh, have his home in you, in your hearts, through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend. That means to grasp with all the saints what is the breadth. So the width of God's love is for all people. The length of God's love is before time began. The height of God's love is so great. That when you receive Christ as your Savior, you're adopted into his family. Praise God for that. And the depth of God's love means this. Though our sin rages deep, right, God's grace goes even deeper, right? Verse 19, and to know, so not just a grasping, but to know. The word know there is talking about a relational knowledge, an experiential knowledge, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I love that phrase, all the fullness of God. That means less of me, more of him, right? Praise the Lord for that. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So it's his power, not us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The extent of God's love. So when you begin to have an understanding of servanthood, you have to begin where? Not me doing things. Not you doing things. But resting where? resting in Jesus's love for me so that's the foundation we rest in the love of Christ the second movement that we see in our passage begins in verse 2 through the first part of verse 12 and this teaches us that as followers of Christ a servant receives Jesus's cleansing Jesus's cleansing so not only are we resting in uh, Jesus's love uh, but we are receiving Jesus's cleansing Uh, look so what contrast we see in verse uh, 12 through the first part of verse or verse 2 through the first part of verse 12 is a contrast between the work of Christ and the work of the devil right we'll see this very clearly Uh, beginning in verse 2 again we're going to pause as we read the scriptures just to get some understanding the scripture says during supper uh, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot Simon's son to betray him so in other words Satan's been grooming Judas right Judas had a choice he could have uh received Christ as his savior, he could have uh, turned his life over to the Lord, or he could have given his life over to Satan, right? And you have to understand that that's the way Satan works. Satan wants to groom your heart, right? And he's going to influence you. He's going to tempt you. And so in this particular instance, where did Judas turn? Judas didn't turn to the Lord. Judas turned uh, to, to Satan. Again, before this, Judas had already received the payment uh, for turning over uh, Jesus to the Roman authorities, all right? Judas is, is, is a person marked by deception, uh, self-absorption, right? Eventually, he's going to be uh, the traitor, the betrayer. Uh, in contrast to the devil and Judas' work, what do we see Jesus doing? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. In other words, Jesus has all power and all authority. So when we look to the cross, we don't, we don't come away with the idea that Ju- Jesus was a victim, Right? No, Jesus was in complete control, right? He has all authority, all power, and and he knows this, right? Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, that's talking about his identity, right? So Jesus is secure in who he is. That's my son who I am well pleased. That's what the Father declared over his son, right? And was going back to God, so that's about direction. He knows where he's going back to. After he dies on the cross and uh, resurrects from the grave he's going to go back to where he's going to go back to heaven he's going to be seated at the right hand of the father and what does Jesus do now that's important what does Jesus do with that power that knowledge right that direction that identity what does he do verse 4 scripture says Jesus rose from supper so the Greek says that while they were still eating so get the picture while they're still eating Jesus gets up he laid aside his outer garments the very garments that would within a matter of 24 hours, be savagely removed from him by the Roman soldiers and gambled away for their trophy. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Jesus is taking the mark of the lowest servant in the house, right? He's ready to work. Then he, Jesus, poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus is willing to clean. Not just work, but clean. And to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So Jesus is ready to finish the work that the Father had called him to accomplish. So think about what's happening here. Uh, John doesn't include this, but Luke's gospel does. According to Luke 22, verses 7 through 13, Jesus and his disciples are in a borrowed room, right? They're in a borrowed room. That's where they're at. This is not their house, right? This is not uh, where they normally gather. Uh, the space, uh, oftentimes when we think about that Last Supper, because that's part of this uh, talk here, we, we, we picture this really long table. Jesus is sitting right in the middle, right? That, that's probably not the idea that we're looking at, right? Uh, this would be more in line uh, with that idea. It's called a triclinium. And so you had these low tables, cushions, and they would lay on their side. Uh, this really, it's, it's really hard to find the, a very accurate picture of this encounter uh, when you... Look for different artwork because typically it's a long table, which probably is not the case. It, it, it'll be more like this where you have those three tables connected, but still Jesus is in the middle. That's probably not the case. Jesus was more than likely uh, on, on the side of one of these tables. But the point is that they're, they're reclining, right? I mean, how many of you all like to lay on the couch and eat food and watch football, Right. A little bit more, they're not sitting at Moe's, sitting up, you know, sitting down, uh, eating, but they, but they are uh, reclining on the couch, they're laying, uh, laying by one another, they're eating their food, and the custom was, when you walked into a home, uh, there would be a water basin there, and, you, and for, for your feet to be washed, the lowest servant would wash the feet, right, keep in mind, they had open-toe shoes, uh, they prom- predominantly didn't have paved roads, dusty climate, dirty climate, uh, You go downtown to Market Street, you know, understand the animals, what they do, right? So just kind of take that picture. And so when you walked into the home, uh, the lowest servant would clean uh, uh, their feet. And so they didn't have tough acting, to actin', right? We have that today. Some of you all use that. Praise God for that, right? But they did have foot washing, and that task, again, was given to the lowest servant. Uh, And and if we're honest, how many of us like to wash people's feet? I mean, as a wife, uh, when you think about your husband... Is the thing that really drew you to him, his feet? Probably not, right? But this this custom was important. It was significant. And though the lowest servant was tasked with that uh, particular role, the king of glory, the king-servant Jesus, the creator, stoops down and he washes the feet of his creation This is all, again, under the shadow of the cross, right? Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples. And what prompted that action? Well, John's gospel doesn't include it, but Luke's does. In Luke 22, verse 24, the scripture says, A dispute also arose among them, talking about his disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So that's the argument that they were having. Before this, later, earlier on in that day, they're asking Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? So they're arguing about this still. And, and Jesus does what? Jesus shows them what greatness is all about through service. Now think about Jesus for just a minute. Jesus is washing the feet of the proud. Who's going to be the greatest? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? Jesus is washing the feet of his betrayer. Remember Judas? Jesus is also washing the feet of the one who will deny him. Jesus, our servant king, responds to what he heard, who's going to be the greatest, and what he saw, their feet were dirty. Then the scripture says in verse 6, uh, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In the Greek it says, you, my feet, you want to wash? Jesus answers him, what I am doing, uh, you do not understand now, but afterward uh, you will understand. What Man, what amazing grace by the Lord. He doesn't rebuke him, he just says, You you don't understand quite yet, but guess what? In in just a little bit, you're going to have a better understanding of what's happening. Uh, And then the response, uh, he says in verse 8, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And this is a double negative here. Under no circumstance ever will you wash my feet. I can wash my own feet. Or, Lord, that is beneath you, right? Not happening. I love Jesus' answer. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. That word share means inheritance. It's a word that expresses inheritance or, or blessing. So, Peter, if I, don't, if I don't wash your feet, you're going to forfeit the inheritance. You're going to forfeit the blessing. And I love Peter. And Peter's, like, all over the map, right? One thing over, listen, I love his response. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Give me the deluxe package, right? Sign me up for everything. Give me the whole body wash, right? Uh, These verses are teaching us that we must recognize our need for washing, right? And not just recognize our need, but we need to receive the washing that only Jesus can provide. So we have to admit that we need to be washed, but then we have to let Jesus wash us. So Jesus is now taking that physical act, and he's making sure that they understand the spiritual implication of what's happening. He says in verse 10, Jesus said to him, speaking of Peter, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. So he's referring to Judas with that statement. And he clarifies it in verse 11. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now think about Judas for just a minute. On the outside, he looks clean, right? He was around the greatest teaching, the greatest example the greatest love, and yet he never received Christ as his Savior. And remember his role. He's the treasurer. He's the trusted treasurer who ultimately is the traitor. Verse 12, when he, Jesus, had washed their feet, so he washed all 12 pairs, right, of feet, including Judas, and put on his outer garments and remo- remo- resumed his place. So Jesus sits back now. What are the spiritual implications for this, right? Remember, we're talking about uh, a servant receives Jesus' cleansing. What are the the implications here? Well, the scripture is teaching us that a servant of Christ must be bathed once and cleansed continuously. Let's talk about that word bathed. There's two Greek words that were used. One was bathed and one was washed or "clean." Same word there. But the word bathe talks about a, a full body wash, right? That's in verse 10. So this complete body wash, it's a picture of what happens to every follower of Christ by grace through faith when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, right? Remember, because of our sin, our relationship with the Lord is broken, and the only way to have that relationship was restored is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are bathed fully in Christ, right? We are, uh, our unrighteousness is exchanged for the righteousness of Christ. Uh, Paul talks about this in Titus 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. This is who we are apart from Christ, right? That's who we used to be, but the contrast happens in verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared... He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Your justification, your rightness before God is based on the finished work of Christ. Have you been bathed in Christ, right? That's a one-time act, one-time declaration. However, there's also an ongoing cleansing. That word in the Greek for cleansing or washing means just part of the body, like our feet in this particular uh, case. Uh, The spiritual implication is this. Uh, Though we have been declared righteous once and for all in Christ, we still live in a fallen world with our fallen desires, right? And guess what? As we walk the path of life, In our heart, our mind, our words, guess what? We pick up the things that are sinful. So we need a daily cleansing, right? We need Jesus to cleanse those thoughts, cleanse those actions all the time. It's why we talk so much about the importance of confession of sin, repentance of sin, and renewed trust in the finished work of Christ. I promise you, if you're not in a healthy cycle of repentance, confession, and renewed trust in Christ, guess what? You're not going to be the servant that God desires for you to be, right? It's our sin that gets in the way of servanthood. Our pride wells up. Our conceit wells up. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. But this idea of cleansing, centered around confession, repentance, and renewed trust in the finished work of the gospel, is the things that we need daily, ongoing, right? John speaks of this in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we say we have no sin, if you look at yourself and say, <laughs> I'm perfect, Guess what he says? He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, when we are dishonest about our sin, thinking we don't need daily cleansing from the Lord, we are fooling ourselves and we're not trusting in the fact that Jesus has already said what? You need daily cleansing. You need ongoing cleansing in your life. Yes, you've been bathed once and for all, but you need daily cleansing. Verse 9, he says, if we confess our sins, that's an ongoing confession, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, so he'll... He takes on the full punishment of our sin, past, present, future, right? Praise God for that. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, when we are honest about our sins, he purifies us. He removes the shame and the guilt of our sin, right? Our daily victory over sin, our daily uh, power that comes in order to obey the word of the Lord is in large part to that cleansing, right? That confession, that repentance, that renewed trust in the gospel. In all of this, in humility, we're depending on Jesus to do what? To wash our feet again and again and again, right? So this idea, this second point of uh, receiving the cleansing of Jesus is bathed once, continuously cleaned, right? It's based on the finished work of Christ. It's not based on us. The gospel of grace is God's work not us. Again, if we're talking about servanthood, right? It's not first and foremost, go do, right? One, rest in the love of Christ. Receive the cleansing power of Christ. Why? Because he has finished everything that was necessary. I love Paul's commentary of all this in Philippians 2. Who, though he, speaking of Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He stepped down into our world. In his birth, he humbled himself. In his life, he gave us the greatest example. In his death, he sacrificed himself. In his resurrection, he overcame the power of death and sin, and he brings new life to you, new freedom to you, new loves, new desires. You have a new father, a new family, a new home. And we receive that cleansing over and over and over again. Now the third movement. The third movement is found in verse 12 uh, through 17. Through this third movement, here's what we find as followers of Christ. A servant reflects Jesus' example. So we didn't even talk about doing anything yet. Now we are, right? We reflect his example. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on the outer garments and resumed his place, the scripture says in verse 12, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? Have you thought this through, right? You You were just arguing about who is the greatest, and I just showed you what greatness is all about. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. These things are true. That's who I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I mean, think about the humility of Christ here. Jesus could have said, as I have washed your feet, you wash mine, right? He didn't say that. He said, I have, as I have washed your feet, you wash one another's feet, right? With the same heart, the same attitude. The same motive. Even those who are your enemy, right? And this is one of the reasons why servanthood is anchored in the gospel. We aren't serving others hoping to receive acceptance from God. We are serving others because why? We already have acceptance from God. We joyfully and humbly stoop down to meet the needs of others, right? It's the attitude of humble love. Philippians 2, 3 through 5, do nothing from selfish ambition. In other words, don't Don't serve others for the sake of of promotion and advancement and acknowledgement, right? Or conceit, self-absorption, thinking that, that, hey, look at me. That's not what it's about, right? But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each each of you look not only to his own interests. So, yes, take care of yourself. Look at your own interests, but not only, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ uh, Jesus. Jesus goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, For I have given you an example that you also should uh, do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. So Jesus is stopping the competition, right? You want to know who the greatest is? Stop arguing about that, right? That's what he's doing here. What is he teaching them? He says, uh, when we allow him to serve us, right, we get the capacity to serve others And no act of service is beneath us. That's what he's teaching us here. No matter what role you have, what power you have, what authority you have in life, we are called to service, to reflect the character of Christ. We are the ones who are sent out by Jesus. And Jesus addresses this in Luke 22. To his disciples, he said, and he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, talking about his disciples, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. In other words, they're all about power, they're all about prestige, They're all about getting praise from people. They're always about dominating people. And those in authority over them are called what? Benefactors. In other words, they want to get the credit for their greatness. But the contrast is this. But not so with you. In other words, don't serve as the world serves. Right? This is not primarily about you. This is about the glory and the honor of the Lord. This is about the growth of the church, the health of the church. So there's an action of humble love, not just an attitude of humble love. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Leverage everything you have for the honor of the Lord and the strengthening of the church. Paul says in Galatians uh, 6.10, So then as we have opportunity, in other words, buy up every chance you can, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. So yes, we serve everyone, but especially those who are in the body of Christ. You know, one of the ways that we can serve the body of Christ is helping them in restoration, right? Paul says in Galatians 6, verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you who are walking with the Lord, should restore him, help him repair what has been broken in a spirit of gentleness. And what a question that we need to answer. When your brother or sister in Christ wanders from the Lord, What is your heart towards them? Is it one of pride? Do you gossip about it? Do you tear them down? Do you shame them? Or in humility, do you go to them with love, seeking restoration? Jesus talks about the process of restoration. Matthew 18, verse 15, he begins it here, and we'll just look at this one verse. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, and if he listens to you, you have gained Your brother. In other words, we're we're not called to air out all the dirty laundry, right? We are called to meet our brother and sister in Christ where they are, with the sake of what, gaining them back, restoring them back. We serve one another through guarding the the unity that we already have in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians four, verse two and three, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond. Of peace. Do we serve the body of Christ like that? A desire to maintain the unity that we already have in Christ. I love what Paul says in Romans 12:10. Love one another with brotherly affection. I love this word, outdo. That means devote yourself to one another and showing honor. You see the beauty of servanthood according to the Word of God? And it's through that humble attitude, that attitude of love, and that humble action, that action of love, that we see amazing blessing. Jesus closes with verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. The scripture says, since you know these things, do them, right? I mean, if you're resting in Jesus' love, and you're receiving uh, the cleansing that Jesus provides, right? And you're reflecting the character of the king's servant, Jesus, do you recognize how blessed and privileged you are? To know that i don't have to jockey for position i already have the highest position to know that i'm not seeking self-advancement i'm not trying to earn your acceptance or your approval i already have the greatest acceptance and approval and there is no task no task that is beneath me and if god has brought it to my heart and mind a need specifically within the body of christ it's not for someone else it's for me for me now I may need the body of Christ to help me but it's not me looking back and saying I wonder what the church is going to do today why because you are part of the church right you are part of the body of Christ and why is that important understand this the scripture teaches us in Romans 5 that God has poured out his love into our hearts meaning that we have an infinite capacity to serve one another now, what gets, in the, what gets in the way? It's our flesh. It's our pride, right? But we have in Christ an infinite capacity to love one another. And how great is that love? John 13, a new commandment I give to you. Jesus says that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is the model for church growth, healthy church growth, right? I mean, this is the biblical model. When the church loves well and serve well based on the fact that they're resting in the love of Christ and they're receiving the cleansing that only Christ can give, healthy growth happens within the church. And just to prime the pump for next week's message, I'm going to read this in Acts 2. And they, followers of Christ, devoted themselves. In other words, they prioritized themselves to the apostles' teaching, the word of the Lord, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, spending time together. And the prayers, so they're praying for one another. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. In other words, they kept the main thing the main thing, right? And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any who had need. So they're caring for one another. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having favor with all people. In other words, there was something different about them. And guess what? The people around them noticed. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People were coming to faith in Christ. That's where we're going to go next week. The growth of the church and why service is so important when the church begins to grow. Are you resting in Jesus' love today? Again, there's something that still resides in many of us, if not all of us, this idea that first and foremost, I have to go do, right? Listen, servanthood, true servanthood begins with first and foremost, I'm resting in what Christ has already done. So every father every mother, every single person, every child, every young person, Rest in the love of Christ. That is where your anchor is. That is where your hope is. And it's through that that you realize that, Jesus, I need your cleansing every day. Yes, praise God I've been bathed once and for all in the finished work of Christ, but I need to be reminded of that finished work every day. Let me receive the cleansing of Christ every day. Let me confess my sin, repent of my sin, have renewed trust in the finished work of Christ, and it's there and there alone that I can reflect the character of Christ in my life. As you live in me. And through me, to God be the glory. So whatever your decision is today,